I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Nicole. Hey, Shelly. How are you? Good. How are you this week? Good. I hear you've been busy with realtor stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have been, which is wonderful. COVID put a huge damper on business for quite a while, but things are picking up. Mm -hmm. So very thankful for the business I have going right now. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the area and you're looking to buy or sell. Yes. Yes, please do. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So this week we're going to be talking to Nikki Bergen and she's a Pilates and fitness specialist for birth and postpartum. So we're really excited about that. First, let's do our favorite Favorite of the week. week. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. My favorite of the week is this week I got my hair done. So I have wicked, curly, coily, frizzy hair, tons of it as well. So I love getting a keratin treatment. And this week I was fortunate enough to be able to go get a color to cover my grays. And I got a keratin treatment a couple days ago. I'm kind of excited I can wash it today because when you get the keratin treatment, they have to superheat um, flat iron it. And I'm so used to having super curly hair that going like pin straight makes me not feel like myself. I look in the mirror, I'm like, who's she? Anyway, I'm looking forward to being able to wash it. It will be completely relaxed. I won't lose all the curl, but it'll be like way easy to take care of and blow dry and style. And it just gives me options on my hair. So I think it looks great. Uh, Rachel does too. My I like daughter. your with like straight. I like you with That's curly she hair too. too Last but... night she was like, it looks sleek. It's like a nice look for you, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of a hippie. So I'm just like, I don't know. It's kind of weird straight with my curls. <laughs> no, I think it was so really nice. Thanks. I day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, once I wash it, I can blow dry it and I can, I'll still have smooth, but I'll have a little bit more body, which will feel mm-hmm. a little bit more like myself. So I'm so excited. So how do you find people who does this? Like, do you oh, do it as someone specific? Yeah. Or? A lot of hairdressers will do it. So they, it's either Brazilian blowout or keratin. And I'm not really sure the difference. They say there's like, I don't know, some of them are different, but I don't know. I just know that it is fairly costly because mm. it's going to cost you a good couple hundred bucks. But it lasts, you know, three to four months, depending on how much you wash your hair. I don't wash my hair a ton because I'm dry typically. So my hair doesn't get oily, hence the frizz. So I can go several days between washings. So I can typically get about four months out of it. It kills me to get it done because I'm also not a person who enjoys sitting for long periods of time. So it takes a good couple hours and then it costs me a lot of money. But once it's done, I'm like, oh so happy. Mm-hmm. So it's worth it a few times a year to feel like I can actually mm-hmm. have some choices with my hair. That sounds like a nice, like postpartum <gasps> gift yes. that a parent could give to themselves mm-hmm. to feel yeah. a little fancy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> some pampering for sure. Yeah. Pampering is important. And yeah, pampering is not self-care. It's a small part of self-care, but it's right. a nice part of self-care. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So how about you? What's your favorite of the week? So I bought the Vital Proteins Collagen Powder. Ooh, Have you heard of that? No, but I know collagen is something I should be doing. Yeah, because <gasps> I kept hearing people talk about it yeah. and say that it, they liked it. So I went and bought the powder. I think I got the non-flavored one and I just put a scoop in my coffee every morning and mm. I, I can't taste it except for it does make my coffee taste a little bit creamier mm-hmm. if anything. So mm-hmm. I actually like that part of it. And I've been doing that for a little bit now and it's too early to see mm-hmm. if it's making a difference, but it says that it supports like nail and hair health and, yeah. you know, probably not that much. <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. look at any data in the studies, but I know that collagen is good for you. I don't know how well it would be absorbed orally, like in that right. powdered form, you know, mm-hmm. but I figured it definitely won't hurt. Great. So yeah. I've only heard good things, but again, I haven't either read mm-hmm. really anything about it concerning right. data, but anything that can 
yeah, I'm noticing that my nails are growing a little yeah. faster. Nice. Stronger, Cause I, I constantly have to keep them trimmed because I'm always yeah. doing oral exams on babies. Right. And I'm feeling like, Oh, I have to trim them again already. That was right. fast. And I wonder wow. if it was the powder, but again, not saying it's scientifically backed or anything. It's just something I'm trying. Cool. Yeah. Good for you. Thanks. Send me the link. All right. I want, <laughs> you can get it at Target. Okay. My favorite <laughs> store. So, Hey, all right. So let's move on to Questions from listeners. Yes. Okay. So this week's question is, how long should I breastfeed my baby for? I have seen some studies that show that breastfeeding is not beneficial past three months, and then other (laughs) studies show that it's beneficial up to a year. Mm. You want to take this one, Nicole? I'm going to let you take this one, only because I'm getting a text that I have to respond to. (laughs) The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months. So that means nothing else but breast milk, no solid foods or juices or anything else, just your breast milk. And then after six months, continue to breastfeed up to a year, but add in complementary solid mm-hmm. foods. Mm-hmm. So that's what the American Academy of Pediatrics states. Now the World Health Organization states the same thing, except for up to two years and beyond. Right. Um, so depending on which source you're looking at, World Health Organization encourages at least two years. The AAP encourages at least one year. Nicole, do you know the average worldwide? Isn't it four years old? Mm, three to seven. With yeah. Under four. Yeah. yeah. So in our country, in the U.S., we tend to wean our babies very early. Very early. Although I do feel like that's changing. I hope so. I mean, I'm definitely seeing, you know, my daughter's really good friend um, wasn't sure about breastfeeding, had some breastfeeding issues, but here she is six months out and she's exclusively pumping and didn't expect to do that at all. And she's feeling so confident about it, wants to continue. So, and she's young. I mean this, so I think that there's just more and more information out there and hopefully more and more support, Mm -hmm. um, that people are feeling like, you know, breastfeeding as a whole is becoming more vogue, even though that's a silly way to put it, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's becoming more trendy. But yeah, I would love to see it continue down that path of more extended breastfeeding. But yeah. Yeah. I feel like whenever I teach a prenatal breastfeeding class, one of the questions I ask is, do you have friends and family who breastfed past a year? And I feel like I'm seeing more and more people nod or raise their hands. Yes. We don't see it, of course, because in our culture, we don't even support breastfeeding a newborn in public, never never mind a toddler. Right. But I think it's more common now. We just don't talk about it and right. see it. But I mm-hmm. think it is slowly swinging me out, yeah. which is nice. But the important thing is, it's as long as you and baby would like to. Right. 100% right there in a nutshell. That is the absolute 100% answer. I love that. I'm so yeah. glad you just said that. That's all everyone needs to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to wean at nine months, if you want to wean, you know, that whatever you want to do is fine. As long as it's working for you and your family. But if you are nursing past or breastfeeding past a year and you are getting like pushback from friends or family, then go ahead and cite the World Health Organization recommendations and maybe that will shut them up. And if not, you know what? It's not even their business, right? It's nobody's <laughs> business talking about your, your boobs anyway. That's right. <laughs> the only people who matter about that are you and your baby. Nobody else. So I love that question. Thank you so much. And if you want to submit a question, you can message me on Instagram at Shelly tapped IBCLC, or you can email us at Shelly at Shelly tapped IBCLC.com. And those will be in the show notes. And next up, we will be interviewing our guest. Excellent. Thanks, Shelf. Hey, everyone. I know that having a baby can be a little overwhelming and confusing. If you're looking for a place where you can get all your childbirth prenatal education needs, visit ShellyTaftIBCLC.com. Nicole and I are offering right now an online virtual childbirth educating education class, a prenatal breastfeeding class. And we're soon launching a prenatal newborn care class and a prenatal sleep education course. So you can learn all about infant sleep even before the baby comes. So I'm going to drop that link in the notes and you can check it out and we hope to see you there. I'm so excited this week to introduce Nikki Bergen. She's a Pilates and pelvic health specialist and a mama of two and the creator of the Bell Method program. 
And we are so excited to have her on. Thanks for joining us, Nikki. Thanks, Nikki. So happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you offer? Absolutely. So I am a mama, a recent mama of two. I have a two and a half year old and a almost five month old and I'm Pilates instructor. So basically I help women during pregnancy, postpartum and beyond with their core and pelvic floor fitness. So it's really about being proactive as much as possible. But if anyone's listening to this and they're like, oh, I pee my pants a little bit, or, oh, I think I have diastasis. (laughs) Like it's not too late. That's probably the number one question I get. Is it too late? I had my kids five, 10 years ago. And I want to just make it clear. It's not too late to restore your core. That's great. Nice. And how did you get into this field? So I am a former dancer and I injured my knee when I was 24 um, through dancing, discovered Pilates, fell in love with it, decided I wanted to really pursue it. So I went back to school for my certification, which took over a year, did my apprenticeship and whatnot. And then I decided that I wanted to really dive in deep. And so I actually, instead of going back to a studio environment, which is where I'd been working as a dance teacher for so long, I actually purchased one of those big pieces of equipment. It's called a a reformer. Um, It looks like a torture device, (laughs) but basically I I picked it. It's a a pretty expensive piece of equipment. You know, at the time I was still in my mid twenties and I ended up calling around and, and it didn't take me too long to find a sport medicine clinic. And I was like, listen, here's the deal. I have this fancy piece of machinery. You have the clinic. Don't pay me. We'll just split you know, revenue and and I'll come and I'll train your patients. And they were like, cool, come on over. And it was actually a blessing because I had to learn so quickly. I was, to be honest, like way in over my head. I'm working at like a place where I've got people who've had accidents, motor vehicle accidents, and they're looking to use Pilates as a way of rehabilitating. So I, in one day I would have a, you know, someone with a herniated disc. I would have, uh, you know, a 60 year old with osteoporosis. I'd have a teenager with a pole in her spine because she had scoliosis surgery. Like, and I was like, okay, I have to learn. So like I would study and this was nothing that was covered in my year of Pilates training. So I had to study before each patient and be like, and and talk to the chiros and the physios and the massage therapists and be like, is this appropriate? Can I be doing this move? So in hindsight, it was probably the best thing for me because I had to learn so quickly. And in my learning there, I recognized that a lot of these people were doing this through their insurance and eventually their privates, their insurance would run out. And they were like, I want to keep doing this, but I want a group class because it's obviously more affordable. And so I was like, all right, well, I got to create a group class. <laughs> and so I used my dance choreography combined with all of my knowledge of movement and Pilates and physical therapy to create a movement methodology that would be appropriate and accessible and also challenging and interesting. Unlike, and I have to say it, like physical therapy is kind of boring. Like you're like, do these, <laughs> kind of. do these five exercises, you know, 30 reps and you're just kind of like checked out. I'm like, no, we're going to make this fun. So I would like play music. I add my dance background into it to create like a flow, to create a movement methodology in a class that would render results, but also like be fun. And so that's kind of what happened. And so it, they blew up. It became really popular. Um, and then I started getting a lot of pregnant women come into the class and postpartum women. I was like, oh my God, you guys need your own thing. <laughs> Cause like I was kept being like, okay, don't do that and modify this. And it was just hectic. And I'm like, you know what? You guys deserve your own thing. So then organically the bell method have a branch of it called the bump method, which is just for pregnant and postpartum women. Wow. So that's kind of how that evolved. And, uh, and from there, and this is, by the way, the Cliff Notes version, <laughs> but, but basically from there, it's, uh, it's really grown. And now, of course, becoming a mom myself, I was actually really fortunate that I was doing this work in my 20s. And then 10 years later, I had my kids. So a lot of people get into this field after they have children, but mm-hmm. I've been doing it for a long time. And so I was able to kind of do it before, have the two children, and then I'm still doing it. So it's certainly been a journey. And now I feel like I have even more street cred having had two kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So you kind of like created a brand new thing with like a combination. Yeah. I mean, 
it's all based, and this is the thing that is important to note, is that I'm really fortunate. I have a mentor here who's a PhD. She's actually a world-renowned researcher in public health. And I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and she's here. She's one of the local McMaster universities where she works and teaches. And so she's um, a mentor in that she shares with me all of this research that she and her colleagues are doing as it relates to women's health and public health. And what I try to do is I try to disseminate that information in the what we teach, both in our virtual classes and online programs. So she consults on them. And she vets them. And then I sort of turn them into interesting choreography because, like I said, physio is boring. <laughs> right. So, and yeah. I think anytime you're doing any sort of like therapy or even just exercises, if it's boring, yeah. it's not that sustainable. Like you're just not yeah. going to keep going with it. Exactly. And I want women to feel encouraged and inspired and motivated to do it. So, you know, a lot of the times too, they're told do these exercises, but they're not necessarily explained, well, why? Mm-hmm. or how, you know, it's like, right. just do these moves. You're like, what, why should I do them? So I, I really want to communicate the why and really empower women to also get connected to their own bodies. And this is a hard one. So one of the questions I get asked all the time is, is this move safe for me? Right? Like, is this diastasis recti safe? And if people listening aren't sure, diastasis is essentially something that all pregnant women get. It's the thinning and separating of the connective tissue in the middle of your six-pack muscle. As your baby grows, it has to make room for itself in your tummy, right? And it's a miracle that our bodies are able to do this, but we want to reduce the extent to which that happens. So we don't want to have excessive diastasis recti that becomes really difficult to rehab afterwards. And so what we teach is a way of managing that sort of pressure so that you don't have so much excessive diastasis at the end of your pregnancy. And we teach people how to rehab from it postpartum as well. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting field to be in. And I I love teaching women to really take control of their pelvic health because Mm -hmm. a lot of times we're, you know, if I only had a dollar for every time someone said, I wish someone had told me, (laughs) I'd be a very rich woman. (laughs) Yeah, we get that a lot as um, doulas and in the birth field. Yeah, yeah. Even simple things like I wish someone had told me that I didn't have to take that medication or get that intervention done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's a tricky one because I think for so long it's like we've been taught and we're still being taught to be compliant, good. I mean, we can talk about birth here too. Compliant, good patients, if you will, right? It's tricky because the reality is, is that it takes 15 years for best practices to show up in hospital settings. That's the average. So we know, for example, and I'm I'm digressing a little bit here, but this is what we teach in our prenatal classes. We know that closed glottis valsalva pushing is worse for the pelvic floor. And yet what that means is women are being told to pull their knees up to their chest, to bear down, to lie on their back to essentially turn purple when they're pushing their baby out. (laughs) But we know that that is actually a position that is very detrimental to your pelvic floor. Your sacrum can't move and you're more likely to end up with pelvic organ prolapse, especially if you're pushing in that position for an extended period of time. And so even if you've had an epidural, I'm like, ladies, you can just do a simple little turn to the side. Like you're still you know, the, your care provider can still see what's going on if that's their argument, but just roll onto your side and now you can, you know, your sacrum can move freely and you're going to have your pelvic outlet is open by an extra 30%. Your baby's going to come out more easily. You're not going to get hemorrhoids. You're not going to have prolapse. You know what I mean? So these are the things that, you know, it's not just about the, like, let's get our core and our our body strong during pregnancy and postpartum. It's also about learning to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And as doulas, I know that we hate that pushing position Mm -hmm. for all the reasons you mentioned, which I actually didn't know, but for the birth process itself, like it Mm -hmm. is much harder Mm -hmm. to push your baby out in that position. It does Mm -hmm. increase your risk of needing episiotomy and vacuum extraction and things like that. So Mm -hmm. that's so cool. How long were you at that clinic? Oh, the original clinic um, that I taught at, I'd say probably about three years before I ended up, that was in one place and then I moved. And so it ended up becoming a long commute for me to get there. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up starting to offer more classes in like our main city of Toronto here. So yeah, and then I sort of grew and then I would do pop-ups in different physical therapy clinics and also teach at a variety of studios. So 
when COVID happened in well, our lockdown here was in March of 2020, we had 12 classes across the city of Toronto that we had to cancel. Oh, wow. And so in all various different locations, it mm-hmm. was like, okay, let's take this online. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a way it's been, I mean, it's, we all really miss it and I miss teaching in person, but it's been really a blessing to be able to reach people outside of you know, my hometown that are needing this information. So now we have women joining our classes from literally all over the world. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I have a question about diastasis. (laughs) (laughs) We always read it, look at it. We're like, none of us know how to say it, actually. We just, you know, that thing, that thing, that thing. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about what kind of problems that can happen when you have that. Okay. So yeah. And by the way, it's diastasis, diastasis, tomato, tomato. Like it doesn't matter. I find more Americans say diastasis and Canadians say diastasis, but really like it's the same thing. Okay. Okay. So (laughs) what is it? It's first, let me start this by saying, I don't want there to be a lot of fear mongering. So in my industry of, of pre and postpartum fitness, I say about like five years ago, there was so much fear mongering about it. Like you can never do planks. You can never do crunches. Coning is the worst thing in the world. We're starting to see the pendulum swing to being a lot more movement friendly, which I love because, you know, I think that it can be very damaging psychologically to tell a woman, oh, well, you have this issue. And now like for the rest of your life, you can never go back to those activities that you used to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just important to note that obviously there's individual variability. So a diastasis can look different from one woman to another. And I mentioned earlier that everybody is going to get this. If you think about it, I did a video actually fairly recently when I was about 38 weeks pregnant, Mm -hmm. I had a measuring tape and this is just going to like paint a picture for you. So I'm not a very big person. I have a 24 inch waist pre-pregnancy and then at 39 weeks, I had a 41 inch waist. So think of how that's 17 inches that my waist had to grow. How is that going to happen without some degree of abdominal separation? Like it's biomechanics. There has to be some give in the tissue to accommodate that baby. That's diastasis recti. It's functional. We just want to make sure that it's not so stretched out that it's very difficult to rehab postpartum. Right. And there are some things that we can do, which I teach to help you mitigate the risk of really excessive, more permanent diastasis. Mm -hmm. I call it injury through diastasis. And so what that would be, would be learning to do your core breathing when you're pregnant, Mm -hmm. right? Learning to really, and you might've seen videos of like, I call it hug the baby, wrap the core on your exhale. Um, And these are things that you want to start to incorporate, not just in exercise, but in your day-to-day habits, looking at your posture, your alignment, what are your breath mechanics? Like a lot of us, especially now are dealing with a lot of anxiety. And when we're anxious, we breathe up into our chest. This sort of almost like you're breathing in a stress inducing way, your shoulders rise and you're not getting a nice breath distribution through your rib cage. Mm -hmm. Well, believe it or not, breathing like that makes it harder for your core to function Mm-hmm. and it can exacerbate diastasis recti. So it's all about really understanding that there are ways to mitigate this risk. And then if you were like, great, I'm listening to this and I just had my baby and I didn't do any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Also know that there's a lot that you can do postpartum as well. Right. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious as to, you know, the kinds of things that people can, um, if they don't, pay attention to it and they're not doing things to repair it long-term or what are the ramifications? Ah, got it. So, yeah. So there's evidence to suggest that diastasis recti, it's, it's obviously not just an aesthetic issue. There is an aesthetic right. component, mm-hmm. which is why this is tends to be a really hot topic in the fitness mm-hmm. world. It's like, fix right. your diastasis. it's not just an aesthetic issue is a functional issue. And so uh-huh. your core can't generate good tension. So when you have this diastasis, if your core can't function well, you're more at risk for incontinence. You're more at risk for back pain. You know, it, there's a correlation, not causation, but there's a correlation between the two. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that this isn't just 
focused on the aesthetic. It's not marketed just as like, get your body back, which I'm not a fan of anyhow. Right. But it's important that women know that by restoring their deep abdominal function, they're going to have a whole multitude of benefits. You're going to improve your incontinence, right? You're going to not leak anymore when you jump or run or cough. You're going to have much better ability to generate force and tension. So you'll be able to do more high impact exercise. If that's something you want to do, your back won't hurt so much, Mm. you know, and yeah, you're going to feel more confident in your clothing. (laughs) Yeah. I think that hits it right on because I'm learning. I was in physical therapy once for back pain and all the exercises they gave me were core exercises. And I remember I was really young, so I didn't ask questions back then, Mm -hmm. but I remember thinking like, okay, this is kind of weird because my core doesn't hurt. It's my back that hurts. Why are they giving me all these exercises? Yeah. This is something I want to clarify. Your core isn't your six pack muscle. So people think your core is just the front of your tummy, your core, it's like an apple core. So think of it as a barrel, your core, we call it the core four. Your diaphragm, this is what your core is actually made up. It's like a canister. So you got your diaphragm, which is right like under your ribs, your pelvic floor at the bottom of the barrel, your transversus abdominis, which are the muscles that kind of wrap horizontally around your waistline and your lower back muscles, your multifidus. That's your core. So your core is your back. Your core is your pelvic floor. Yeah, right. makes sense. Also, like as a weightlifter, I struggle with a lot of weight like certain weightlifting um, exercises until I started to work on the kind of things that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that I think we're starting to see people become better educated in, but we still have a ways to go. <laughs> so if ha- are there any like telltale signs that parent can look for to know if it was not rehabbed very well or was to, I guess, spread too thin is the word that you used. Yeah. Or just, they're still coping with, we call it a dysfunctional because you can have a functional diastasis recti, meaning that functional meaning like, yeah, I just posted a video on Instagram the other day and you can see in some of it that I get a little bit of a doming above my navel, but if I exhale, I can make it go away. I can generate good tension. So it's fine. Whereas there are some people who, no matter what they do, they're not able to generate tension in their core and their abdominal muscles and their abdominal wall. That's more of an issue. So I think the key, I call it the five P's. Do you have any pain? Do you feel any pressure, like downward pressure on your pelvic floor? That's often a symptom of prolapse. Do you have any peeing when you do an activity? Do you see popping in your tummy? Meaning when you perform an exercise, does your whole abdominal wall bulge out like Ninja Turtle abs? That's a sign that you're not connecting to your deep layer. And do you have any peaking, which is another word for doming, where you see a ridge, like a little bit of a a mountain ridge down the middle of your six-pack muscle, Mm -hmm. doming or coning. I had to have a fifth piece, so I call it peaking. (laughs) (laughs) And if you have like a body where you can't really see your muscles too well. Yeah. 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 It can be difficult. Definitely. If you were in a larger body and you're like, I can't see the doming or the coning. Mm -hmm. So I would, in that case, try to get comfortable with using your fingers and actually just palpate. So poke for most people, it's right in your belly button. So relax on the floor, relax your legs, poke your belly. Okay. What does it feel like? And now go into, and I've, I've got some videos on this, just slowly curl up like as if you're doing a very slow crunch and do you feel like you can still like, is there a valley? Is there a gap in how deep it's not necessarily the width of the gap that matters. It's about how deep can you sink your fingers in there? And it can be difficult to test yourself. And I recommend that every single woman, even if you have no symptoms, goes to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. It's so important. So important. I have so many people who are like, oh, I had pain with sex and I thought that was normal after I had a baby. I'm like, no, it's not. You can do something about this. Or, oh, I I just sneeze a little bit and I cough and pee my pants a little bit, but it's just a little bit. I'm like, no, we need to address that. You don't need to live with that. You can fix that. So, so many things that can be done through pelvic floor PT. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is, is that we're all told that it's normal, right? Or in common does not mean normal. Um, You shouldn't have to, you know, be doing a jump rope and peeing your pants. But if you go see your provider at your six weeks postpartum visit and you say, okay, I can't sneeze without peeing, most likely they say, oh, that's normal. 
and send you on your way. And this is unfortunately a huge disconnect, as I mentioned earlier, that there's a lot of training that our care providers don't receive in the field of pelvic health. And I think that that's slowly starting to change. I know it is here in Toronto, but it's still, we have a very long way to go. A friend of mine here is an OB and a urogynecologist. She's the one who sees women postmenopausal who are the ones that need the bladder mesh surgeries and the mm. prolapse surgeries. And she's just like, I really, really, really want women to start being more proactive and to get this information earlier, right? Like there's so much we can do in our earlier years, pre-menopause, that's going to help because as soon as we go through that menopause, our hormones change, collagen levels change, elastin changes, it becomes harder to do the rehab. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. This is, this is huge. I know. (laughs) We've been working in the birth and postpartum field for years and it's amazing how much we are learning from like guests like you, right? We've been talking a lot about how the healthcare team needs to change. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually it's just like the doctor and that's it. But I think if a woman is going through pregnancy, she should be seeing a nutritionist, her OB, Mm -hmm. pelvic floor specialist, Mm -hmm. consultant if she's planning on breastfeeding. There should be like a huge team around her. And instead we're just kind of like you're coming in every few months for 15 minutes and then you're getting sent on your way. And even less now in COVID, having just gone through giving birth in May, like it was crazy because I now had a reference point. I had gave birth in 2018. And then I was like, wow, I'm literally seeing nobody now. Like I feel for first time moms who are trying to navigate this with like yeah. virtual appointments, you know, it's hard. It is. And it can be scary and overwhelming too for a lot of families. Yeah. And it's really good to know that there are providers out there like you who are willing and able to help these families. They just need to know where to find you. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly repeating myself. I'm like, it's okay to say this isn't, you know, you don't have to just accept this. You don't have to accept pain or leaking or, you know, any type of discomfort. And the stories that I could tell you, I don't know how much time you have, but the DMs I get every single day, every single day, I get DMs from people saying, thank you, A, because I finally got, I was told that this was normal, but I feel like a bulge. I feel something's coming out. They tested me at my doctor's office when I was lying on my back. And I'm like, no, you need to be tested standing because that's gravity. (laughs) So a lot of the times people are tested lying on their back. And like, oh, you're normal. It's fine. Well, guess what? When you stand up, gravity is a different force. And now all of a sudden, then you feel it, you know? So like certain things that are just being missed, learning to advocate for yourself to say, you know what? Like, no, you're telling me that this is normal, but it doesn't feel normal. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's pain or it feels like by the end of the day, like something's coming out of my vagina. These are the DMs that I'm getting. And so I'm like, go see a pelvic floor PT. And then they do. And they're like, wow. Now I'm getting a proper diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you have suggestions for parents on how they could advocate for themselves? Like, can you go in a little bit more detail? I think it's really just about so much of it is also like depends on your personality. Like it's a lot easier for some personalities than others to sort of be like, you know, if you're inherently like a pleaser, someone who doesn't want to stir the pot, someone who's just like, well, you're the authority, you're the doctor, (laughs) you're the nurse. I don't want to make anyone mad. I don't want to be a bitch, you know? And I'm like, be a bitch. It's okay. It's your body. But that can be very difficult for people, especially, I get the question a lot with birth. It's like, what if they tell me that I have to, you know, do this? And I'm like, you don't. It's called informed consent. And it's also caused like, you guys know, especially with the birth stuff, like you have to just ask, like, what's the acronym that I like? You know, the brain acronym. Have you heard of this? What are the yeah. benefits, risks, risks, alternatives? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you intuitively yeah. feel? Then you answer, you know. Yeah, exactly. So that is also kind of, I think, and I we should spell it out. People are like, wait, say that again. I'm sure if they're listening. I do it all so, the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they probably heard this before then. I've used this every acronym for every class I've ever taught. Okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the benefits? What are the risks? 
um, alternatives, alternatives, intuition, and then what if we do nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And so this can be applied, I think, also with our pelvic floor stuff and with the advocating for yourself. So like, there's really no risks to going to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And I understand that there are people who may not have access to someone wherever they live. If they live in a more rural community or they're, you know, like they're not everywhere. There are people who do, and I'm not saying it's the same thing, but there are people who do virtual consults um, Mm -hmm. that I know that are, I mean, it's better than nothing. Let me put it that way. And yet advocate for yourself is just to say like, you deserve to feel good. I think it comes down to a self-worth thing as well to be like, you know what? Like you deserve to feel confident in your body and not worry that like if you run after your toddler, you're going to pee your pants and not feel like you have to wear a pad to go to the park on a walk or like to do that class that you want to do. Or, you know, like there is a way where like you don't have to just surrender to that for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I have definitely been the please, the pleaser patient. (laughs) I do find though, as I get older, I Mm -hmm. am kind of over it now at this Mm -hmm. point, Right, (laughs) like where I'm kind of like, listen, if you're not going to listen to me, I will find a provider who will. Yeah. Yeah. And and I teach that we teach that in our classes to always remember that your provider works for you. Right. You're you hiring them. <laughs> and so if you yeah. don't feel like you're being respected or listened to, then yeah. fire them. Yeah. And you can do that. You sure can. It's I have a story I remember. So side note, so my first birth two years ago, I had to do IVF. That's a whole other podcast. I had a heart condition. So I've had a lot of incidences where I was reliant on medical intervention to conceive, to deal with something called SVT. It's like an arrhythmia. I had to have a heart ablation for that, which is like a surgery. So, and these are things you're born with. And these are things that like, you can't really control, Mm -hmm. but I wanted so desperately to have an unmedicated birth because I wanted to be able to prove to myself that I didn't need an intervention because I had so many interventions. I was like, give me this one thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Right, right, right. And there was concern about my heart. And so I remember I met with this anesthesiologist in my pregnancy. There was this whole workup done. And he had said to me, he's like, listen, we can recommend that you have an epidural, but you don't need one. It's recommended, but it's not a mandatory thing. Mm -hmm. So I check into triage with my first birth and I was already six centimeters dilated. It was a lot, but I was managing. And I remember as soon as I check into triage and I had no bright lights, like not a very conducive environment to like birth. Mm-hmm. Right. And the nurse immediately, and she was kind of crotchety. She's just like, it says on your chart, you need an epidural. And she didn't even come up and talk to me. She's like yelling from behind the curtain. Oh, and in, that, in that moment, I was like, this is, and I was just, it's also, I'm fortunate that I was 36 at the time, like older mom, like whatever, you know, more confident mm-hmm. a little bit. And I was just like, it says it's suggested, but it's not mandatory. And she just like huffed off. But in that moment, <laughs> In that moment, I could, if I was a pleaser, I might've been like, right. Okay. You're right. You know what? So in that moment, I was like, no, actually I don't need one. Plus I was so clear in my mind of what I wanted because of everything that had happened prior. And so that's just an example of how do you advocate for yourself? Don't worry if they think you're a bitch. Cause you know what? The shift's going to change. You're going to get a new nurse, you know? Right, and exactly. I did. I got a new nurse and it was great. And they were like, what's your birth plan? And I, I laughed. I was like, I'm going to have an orgasmic birth. And everybody laughed because it was like the funniest thing they'd ever heard. You know, it was like an icebreaker. I mean, I yeah. did not have an orgasmic birth, but it worked <laughs> out. I ended up being able to have like an unmedicated birth that I wanted. Right. And I had a doula, which I think I tell everyone you need to hire a doula. Yes. But you know, like we are a fan of that. <laughs> you know, it's true. It's so, I mean, she was, if it wasn't for her, I'm convinced that I wouldn't have been able to, like it was bless my husband, but he's not so good at in those moments. You know, he was a little more too anxious himself to be there for me, you know? Right. Which, yeah. yeah. Even better but, reason to have a doula. Exactly. Yeah, totally for him too. So yeah, that's to answer the question about how to advocate for yourself. I think you just have to really have a strong why of why this is important to you. And the why of why it's important to you has to be greater than the fear of pissing people off. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And what you, to what you were saying about like, if you piss them off, 
the shift changes yeah. as hospital, you know, we've worked yeah. in hospitals and we've witnessed the nurse or the provider come out and sit in the break room and bitch about this uh, doing this and that she has a birth plan and, and they oh, bitch yeah. for like five minutes and then, it's and then they move on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. something that they continue to think about. And so it's definitely not something the patient should bother mm-hmm. thinking about or letting that take up space in their brain about what that nurse is doing. Because even if they are upset and they are bitching about you, it's so short lived, right? That it's not worth, it's not, don't let that nurse live rent free in your brain. Right. (laughs) It's true. And there's so many amazing nurses. Like after that woman changed, I had incredible nurses and, and I had actually, I made all these like little energy balls. And like, I was like, here, have some food, have some snacks. Like I was bribing them with, with snacks. I was like, I want you guys on my side. Like I, and everyone was like in it together and, you know, yeah. so yeah, you're absolutely right. Everything that you say. So it can be hard, like I said, depending on your personality, but at the end of the day, they can't force you to breathe a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, like we want you to hold your breath. You don't have to hold your breath. You have control over how you breathe. You know right. what I mean? And if you know yourself and you know that you are the pleaser patient and you know that you're going to have a hard time advocating for yourself, that's when having a doula or someone mm-hmm. else who can advocate for you or encourage you to advocate for yourself or yep. show you how to do it is really important too. Yeah, right. It's, it's true. Thanks for all One your work. One of the things I do <laughs> tell clients when I'm teaching, I'll say to them if they're really looking for that normal birth is when you get to the hospital and you go to check in, you say, please give me the nurse that supports normal birth. Oh, that makes a big difference. And I actually learned that from a couple nurses who do support normal birth. They're like, people can actually say, can we please have the nurse that really supports normal birth? And they find that they're like, so happy to work with those people and the people are much happier and there's less Mm -hmm. con, you know, less feelings of a different nurse. It's Right. Because so, there's always going to be a couple on the floor that really support having a doula, really support yeah, yeah. everything normal. Mm-hmm. So you want to be matched with them. You do. Yeah. Right. Versus we need like feeling. a Tinder like app where you can <laughs> swipe through the staff. Uh, and like, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so funny. No, I love that. That's true. I feel for women also who feel like they've done all the right things and still end up not having the birth that they were hoping for. And so I also acknowledge that like, sometimes just out of your control. Right. I mean, like, and that's okay. And it's not necessarily, you know, oh, I didn't advocate hard enough for myself. Sometimes there is that, but a lot of it just comes down to like position of baby and like a lot of things that are, so I think it's important to also, like I always Cause I hear a lot of the stories of even I, cause I share, if you go to my testimonials on my highlights, I've got like hundreds of like amazing, empowering birth stories. And these are the stories I want people to read, but there are also stories where people are like, but I took your class and I did all the things and I hired the doula and it still didn't work out. And I'm like, guys, it's, it's not your fault. You know, like you, it's okay. That's not a failure. So I think it's important. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember as a doula, I was with a client and she had such a long labor and then she pushed and she pushed and she pushed for hours and hours. And we tried everything when she was with midwives. So they were very open mm-hmm. to letting her try different positions and that baby just was not going to come down. And one, so we finally decided on a C-section and I'll never forget because it completely broke my heart when we were waiting for the anesthesiologist to arrive. She looked at me and she goes, is it because I didn't push hard enough? Oh, oh my goodness, because I've never seen anyone try harder than she did. (laughs) And so, yeah, a lot of our job is just kind of reminding parents that sometimes things don't go the way we wanted them to. And it's not anything that they did. It's no reflection on their abilities or, you know, preparedness or whatever. Mm -hmm. That sometimes that's life. Yeah, it's very true. And, And I, to loop this back in with diastasis, if you are five feet tall and pregnant with twins, you're going to have bad diastasis. Like there are certain things that you can't control. So just for people, like if you have a very short waist, short torso, if you're a shorter person, if you're pregnant with multiples, okay, these are all things that are going to predispose you to having a bigger challenge with diastasis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was me with Ben. I, my fourth one was a single birth However, I had um, polyhydramnios, so I was mm-hmm. huge. 
I was yes. as big. I was, <laughs> I was measuring seven weeks ahead from the time oh, I was like 25 weeks on when I delivered, it was slowing down at the end. But when I delivered, I delivered him at 40 weeks, but I was measuring at like 45 weeks yes. <laughs> and I'm five feet tall with there a very tiny waist, like small mm-hmm. person. And I was yeah. a barn. I was yeah. so big with him. And yeah, yep. I've never been the same. Yeah. <laughs> and he's 22. And this is what I mean in the sense that like, you know what, like know that there's just certain things that we have to work with and that's not your fault. It's right. just the situation. Life. It's just that's life. Right. And you, know, you can certainly be as proactive as possible during your pregnancy and doing your best to do the rehab. Yeah. But like, I've got a couple of friends of mine who are also like, they've had twins. They're, you know, five, one, five, two, and they have a much harder time with diastasis than I'm five, seven. Yeah. And I had a singleton, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it's easier. So yeah, it's definitely harder yeah. pregnancy. I found, I mean, I think everyone's pregnancies could be hard, but when you're five feet tall and normally yeah. like 110, 115 pounds with average size babies and I, you know, delivered. Okay. But it was just, it was yeah. huge. Yeah. And so I want to say like to women, like it's also kind of like a stretch mark thing too. Cause I get that question all the time. And I'm like, yeah. as it's mostly your genetics, like yeah. it's mostly your genetics, you know, like obviously yeah. we want you to be, I think anything we can do to really improve nutrition, you probably yeah. had guests come and talk about this is going to improve like your collagen, your elastin, your tissue responsivity, your fas- ability for your fascia to stretch and accommodate um, hydration, fish oil, all these things are going to help. But like, it's also like, did your mom get stretch marks? (laughs) You know, like, so I think it's important to like, put that out there so that nobody, I always want to make sure that people don't come away from listening to these things being like, shit, I screwed up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. Nikki, can you tell us a little bit more about your programs? Like, what do they look like? Is it it a certain number of weeks or is it all individualized depending on what the parent has going on or? Yeah. So we have two virtual options. So first we have our bump method online program. And so that's a trimester specific training program. And it's basically you start in the first trimester and you get a workout for the first trimester, second, third, and fourth trimester, which is postpartum. And it's something that I shot in a professional studio. We've had it online for a very long time, like five years now. And in each workout, you will actually see me training a woman who is at that stage of pregnancy. So mm-hmm. in the first workout, you see me, what, how would I train someone in their first trimester? And you follow along. And there's like multiple camera angles. You can learn very easily because of that. You know, you can see different like close-ups and whatnot for the like really technical stuff. And then in the second tr- trimester, I'm training someone who's actually pregnant with twins in her second trimester. And then in the third, you see the people who are in their third trimester. And then in the fourth trimester program, it's in real time. So you'll actually see me training two women who are actually seven and 11 weeks postpartum. So you get to see what the movements look like on an actual postpartum body. So that's the bump method program. And that's all about the exercise aspect. And then COVID happened. And so now we have brought all of our actual studio classes online. So those are the virtual Zoom classes. So it's all done on Zoom. And we are essentially teaching a prenatal Zoom virtual class. And then we have a level one and a level two postnatal class. So level one would be you had your baby four to six weeks ago if it's a vaginal birth. And I'd say like about six to eight weeks if it's a C-section birth. And, you know, we take you through level one and then there's a level two class that I teach where it's like bridging the gap between like early rehab and like going back to really intense work. And then we have something called the bell class, which is when you've, I call it Pilates on crack. (laughs) So it's really hard. (laughs) So it's like next level hard. (laughs) So it's like, okay, you're not pregnant. You're not postpartum. You just want to have like a kick-ass workout. That's like the most challenging one that we have. So essentially um, how it works is they run in two month sessions. So our next session is going to run throughout all of November and December. So it's eight weeks. And you get the, you can join live, but a lot of people are joining us in different time zones. So if they can't join live, then they can just use the recording. You get access to those recordings for a full year. So by the end of like this next session, so by the end of January, you'll have eight hours of content of workouts that are progressively harder. 
so they get harder each week. And we also have a live Q&A after each class. So a lot of people are like, you know, for instance, the prenatal class, we talk about pushing, we talk about positioning, we talk about natural ways of inducing labor. So it's kind of like the workout plus like a birthing class to some extent. Like we talk Mm -hmm. more about the physicality of it. We don't get into like breastfeeding and stuff like that, but we get into like, you know, these are the techniques that are going to help you when it comes time to push that baby out. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. And where can people find you? Where can they find all this? On the bellmethod.com. And it's bell spelled um, B-E-L-L-E, like a bell, like beautiful in French. <laughs> or on Instagram at the bell method. And I love your Instagram. Mm-hmm. Thank like you. your, the content you post is so informative. It is. So you, you posted something recently about like posture. Yeah. Yeah. Just how it's not just about the gist of that was that a lot of people are like, you know, and we see this in magazines, like you're the grocery store and you're like, there's all the like, you know, spontaneous last minute purchases. And you're like, Oh, I want to buy that shape magazine. Cause it says these are the five moves that I need for flat abs. And that sells magazines and that sells programs. But at the end of the day, if you don't address your breathing and your alignment, you're not going to get good results from just doing that choreography. Right. It's a little bit boring to talk about alignment and breathing, but it's so crucial to make sure that you're getting good results from the choreography. Right. Perfect. All right. Good. And I will definitely put those links in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And it was so nice to talk to you. Like this was such a informative conversation. I loved it. Good. I'm, I'm, thank you for having me. And thanks for all the work you do for women. Thank you. And you as well. Take care. Yeah, you got it. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.